The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Please be seated. As some of you may know, during the spring semester, the faculty invites uh, select graduating seniors to exhort in morning devotions. And so this morning, I have the privilege of welcoming uh, to this pulpit uh, Mike Autry, a graduating senior. Mike, please bring us God's word. Thank you, Dr. Kim, for the opportunity to be here this morning and to bring the word to you all. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. Pay careful attention to the reading of God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the word which you give us, the word which strengthens us and encourages us and importantly shows us the great salvation which we have in our Lord Jesus. Please be with us this morning as I bring the word to give me truthful words, proper words to say and to speak. Lord, open all of our hearts as well to receive that word and that you would change us and mold us and make us more in the image of your son in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, there's something about home that all of us long for, isn't there? Do you remember the first time that you were gone away from your house? Maybe you were at summer camp, perhaps, and maybe you experienced homesickness. Maybe you were there at first and everything, like these new experiences, it's all, it's all very strange and, and new. But after a while, you start to settle in a bit. Um, but still, nonetheless, when your parents come home to pick you up at the end of that week, there's that great feeling of relief and joy that you have in seeing them. Well, every one of us longs for home. Every one of us longs for that place of comfort, uh, which where, is where we belong. And Peter knows this also. Peter is here writing to what says the elect exiles of the dispersion. These people who weren't just in their native lands, but they were also 
scattered throughout the empire, but they were also away from their heavenly home as well. They longed for it, especially in this cursed and in this hard world, just as you and I also long for our heavenly home. But in the meantime, though, we all know that this world is loaded down with trials and difficulties and sorrows. Jesus, in fact, tells his people that they will suffer just as he has suffered. And when you're, it's like when you're tired and you have a heavy pack on your back. And you're trudging along and your eyes want to shift downward instead of upward and towards the goal of Christ and his kingdom. And these, these eternal glories of Christ might appear distant. They might appear unseen. But Peter reminds, though, his elect exiles, just like you and I are, that they have cause for rejoicing in the midst of this. And this is it here. The security of your eternal inheritance in Christ gives confidence and joy in standing firm even now. And from this passage here, we'll see that there are these ideas of receiving an inheritance, of being refined through fire, but also then at the end, rejoicing in our salvation. Well, all throughout our passage here, we do see this theme over and over of receiving an inheritance. Now, it's not too often here that someone receives an inheritance from someone who is entirely foreign to them, right? Because you have to be part of the family if you want to get the inheritance. And so notice the basis of receiving it here in verse 3. According to his great mercy. So, so why is it mercy? Well, it's mercy because not a single one of us can do anything to receive this blessing from God uh, without him being truly merciful to us. Now, you wouldn't expect an enemy to receive an inheritance from their foes, would you? Or someone who had committed a heinous crime against someone else to be suddenly written into their will. No, you would expect them to receive exactly what they had coming to them. To get what they deserve for their actions. But God, though, does the unexpected. He actually shows mercy to his enemies, to those who have committed crimes against him and his holiness. Everyone's sin. We've all personally offended God. We all bear the guilt of sin. And we all deserve death for that. We rightly deserve in this world of, of decay and death. And as you all know, what Paul poignantly says in Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your trespasses, following the curse of the world, being creatures deserving of wrath. But right after that, though, what's it say? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God bestows mercy to the undeserving. It's the same idea that Peter gets across here. That you were previously dead in your sins, but God has shown us mercy in Christ. So look to his mercy. And here, with his mercy, looking to Christ... It says here that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I think that's key. A living hope. Where there once was death, now we have life. Not life of ourselves, but life which is found in Christ. Not our own works, but trusting and resting in the life which he has. As he died for sins, he was raised up again. As our exalted Lord, he has this... has this triumph over death with which he shares 
with us. And so this living hope that we see here is actually a literal living hope. It's resurrection with Jesus. But mercy, though, isn't just the reality of resurrection from the dead. Because there's also that matter of inheritance, which, which we saw here. We're, we're brought to life, and then we're given an inheritance, which defines this new life. And the wonder of all of this is that we as sinners who trust in Christ will receive this inheritance from God. Now, how do you receive an inheritance? Simply put again, you're part of the family. And this is exactly what God does then here. He adopts us and he brings us into his family. Now, maybe if you remember a few years ago, Britain did something very special. Uh, They celebrated a royal wedding, didn't they? Now, do you remember what was interesting and different about this royal wedding? Well, because Kate Middleton was, she wasn't royalty, was she? She was a commoner. And so, as she marries into the royal family, though, she's no longer a commoner. She's now now royalty. She's brought into receiving this inheritance, this, this royal bestowal. She's given this great new name here. And by virtue of Christ's work, we also are brought into God's family to receive this this royal inheritance with Jesus. That all who trust in him would be regarded by the Father as sons and daughters of God. And when you consider then how he regarded us as before, as as enemies, as those who are hostile to him, it makes us fact just so much all the more sweeter, doesn't it? The fact that we deserved every single ounce of wrath heaped upon us. Instead, now he heaps blessing. And look at the blessing then of this inheritance in verse 4. It's described as imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's interesting because Peter defines this and, and describes it not by telling us what it is, but actually by telling us what it isn't. That it's not going to pass away. It's not going to become soiled and dirty. It's not going to break down. He's describing the new creation here for us. This life in a perfect, renewed world with the raised body that we share with Christ. See, this is that hope. This is that home which all of us should long for. That whole thing which, which creation itself groans for and looks forward to. And notice also, though, that it says it's kept in heaven for you. If something is kept in heaven, you don't expect anything to be able to to touch it, no. It's safe. It's safe with the ascended Lord Jesus, with whom we are united in heaven, who has gone into the new creation ahead of us, and who will return it someday to bring it with him. As it says in verse 5, ready to be revealed. In the last time. But notice also that the inheritance is not the only thing that's safe here. Because you're also safe. You're also guarded. Kept by the power of God. If you're precious to him, he's not going to let you slip away. And also look, as you see, it says it's done through faith. Thank God that staying in the family doesn't depend upon your own works or your own actions. Because you wouldn't last a day. But it's through your continued faith and coming to the cross in repentance, 
coming and needing him, you're guarded. You're his. And it's God's power which energizes us and sustains us so that we will not fail. He keeps and recharges our personal faith. And that's a good thing. Because here now, we see that Peter starts to write about the idea of trials and the ideas of sufferings. Now, he's not trying to put a damper on on this party because he's being realistic here. There's a purpose, though. And the purpose here is of being refined through fire. Curiously, in verse 6, we see this word, or this, this small phrase that says, if necessary, regarding undergoing these trials. Now, are trials and hardships necessary? Because they only seem like roadblocks to the goal of the end. But none of this should really come as a surprise to us, though, should it? If you turn ahead in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange is happening here. It's all a matter of identity. Because it's who you are. You're no longer an enemy of God and a friend of the world. But now you have been given a new name. You're one of his children. You're one of his people. You're an exile now passing through this world waiting to enter your home. Also, you look in in verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That spirit of the age to come is upon you if you're in Christ. Your identity is fundamentally at odds with the world. What you profess in 1 Corinthians 1 is regarded as foolish in the eyes of others. And so just as your Lord Jesus suffered, you will suffer also. But not all of us will suffer in the same degrees God does have a purpose in all of them. And that purpose we see is in verse 7. That purpose is of the refining of our faith. And Peter uses this analogy of refining gold uh, to describe the trials in our life. We see the same word picture of fire and heat that we did over in chapter 4. Now, do you know how gold is purified? And refined. What happens is you have the gold with all of its, the other ore, and, and uh, you have all of the minerals and the, the dross on it, and it's passed through an intense heat and flame. And as it passes through, the flame burns away the impurities, and they melt away, leaving gold, which is, which is more pure and more valuable than when it went through the first time. And as that passes through over and over, the refining process continues its work until eventually you have something very precious and very, very valuable. And similarly here, trials are used to refine our faith. As we pass through the heat, another layer of unbelief is burned away. And when we emerge, we emerge now more pure and holy than we did before. We're driven once more to find our sufficiency in Christ. And gold might have value here and now in this world, but it's going to pass away. We should look at it in an eternal perspective. Our faith and its being made more and more genuine in Christ is so much more valuable. You see, our 
resolution in the promises of God is tempered by the fires of trial to enable us to continue to stand stronger than we did before. And so you don't suffer in vain. We need a little perspective. Verse 6 reminds us that it's only for a little while. That the quality of what's to come and its endurance is worth so much more. No one can take it away. No one can give you anything more valuable than what you will have in Christ. This is the hope that you have, and it's why that we can rejoice when others are against us for the faith. It doesn't negate any of the hurt. It doesn't mean that any of it is painless. It doesn't mean that it won't cost you or I anything. And it may come in differing degrees, but that still doesn't mean that it's not real, though. If it's going, it's going to come if it hasn't already come to you. That's, it's going to come in your life. It's going to come in your future ministries. It's, it might even come to you now, or it will come with even your closest friends and family. That heat, because of who you are, will get cranked up. And it's going to be uncomfortable at times. It's, it's going to get hot. You may blister and sweat and burn under the pressure. And when the temperature rises, and when it just screams around you, you're going to be tempted to wilt in that heat. But in those times of weakness, though, look to Christ and his coming and the riches and the inheritance which you have in him. Because that is where your relief lies. That's where your true inheritance truly lies. You need to see that what you have in Christ is worth more than anything that the world could ever bestow upon you. And remember that truth of God keeping his own because it's vital. It's, it's what gives strength to our souls in those times because you're eternally secure in him. That you might even be in that hottest part of the furnace at that moment, but God is guarding you and he's keeping you and he preserves you by the merit of Jesus. And for this, we're to rejoice in our salvation. Rejoicing and, and blessing God is all over this page here, isn't it? Understandably so, because Christianity, contrary to popular belief, is not for curmudgeons. Joy is tied to the appearance of Christ. Verse 6, there is the expression of joy at the last time. Verse 8 has joy in his return. We don't just look back to the cross, but we also look forward eagerly awaiting his coming. In verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You will see your very hope with your very eyes, giving you sight to those tired, weary eyes that's you had this whole time. As 1 John 3.2 says, When he appears, we will be like him. You will have that final rest. Think of the eager child during the month of December, because that's when Christmas is, isn't it? You all know what I'm talking about. Either you have kids that are like this, or um, you were that kid in December. Um, but that kid sits under the tree, and he looks at all the presents, and he's just waiting. And he, and he looks at, the, at the, the, um, all of the presents wrapped in nice paper, and he shakes the box with excitement, wondering what's, what's in them. And he can't wait to, to just rip through them on Christmas morning. And you and I should also await that day just as eagerly. Because we look forward to it also. We rejoice in this. 
And it's all the more sweeter when we think about what we deserve before, isn't it? And now what's in store for us and by grace? That before the return of Jesus meant only judgment and wrath for us. But now we can look longingly and eagerly for the return of Jesus because it means blessing. So hearing the gospel should never become rote. It should never become mundane when we catch a glimpse of God's gracious redemption and his blessings for us through faith. And I hope you and I never lose our sense of wonder in all of this. When we think of the mercy and the grace which has been shown to us as sinners through Jesus. And so it's no wonder why Peter opens this passage with doxology. And so we can also thankfully exclaim with him, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is fitting to give you praise and honor and glory for the great work and the redemption which you have brought to us, bringing us from death into life and bringing us great blessing through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to whom we look eagerly. Father, sustain us by your Spirit. Hold us and keep us in those times when we are tempted to wilt in the heat. Pray that that vision of you would always be before us as we go about our lives and as we stand in this world. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.